listening to Sound Prince Audio Magazine, a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind. Sound Prince is underwritten by the American Printing House for the Blind and the Louisville Downtown Lions Club. I'm Carla Rushevel. I'm your host for this week's magazine. Welcome to Sound Prince for the week of September 26, 2021. The following events will be held on the KCB Zoom line and are open to all who wish to attend. Join from your computer, cell phone, or landline by calling 669-900-6833 and entering the code 862-9889-6972 or join through the Zoom link found in the event announcement on the KCB email list. There are five Fridays in October and so there will be five roundabouts filled with fun and information and friends. Please note that the October Bingo will be on the first Friday, October 1, instead of the second Friday. Roundabouts are from 7.30 to 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time, and all are welcome. If you need to borrow a Braille or large print bingo card, or for more information about bingo, give us a call at 502-895-4598, and we'll try to help. The Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision will hold its bi-monthly board meeting on Tuesday, October 5 at 8 p.m. Eastern Time and its first Low Vision Support Group of the Month on Wednesday, October 6 at 7.30 p.m. For a complete list of events sponsored by the Kentucky Council of the Blind and its chapters, visit our website at www. Kentucky-ACB.org and follow the events link. The Kentucky School for the Blind Alumni Association will hold its 75th reunion virtually on Saturday, October 16. The reunion will be held on Zoom, so you can join from your computer, cell phone, or landline. The reunion is open to all. You don't have to have attended the school to be part of the activities and the fun. Michael McCarty, KSB alum, will also stream the reunion on his radio station, theradiostorm.com. So, if you can't join us on Zoom, you will be able to listen on your Alexa device or via the TuneIn app on your cell phone. If you are on the alumni mailing list, you will receive a packet of information by October 4 with important schedule and registration details and news about how you can enter to win amazing door prizes and cash. This information will also be posted in the KSB Alumni Facebook group and will be included here on Soundprints next week. For more information about the virtual reunion and the alumni, contact Adam Rushevel, President at 502 502- Eight nine seven one four seven two. Zelda Gephardt from North Dakota was elected to serve on the ACB Board of Publications at the 2021 ACB Conference and Convention. Zelda has served as president of the North Dakota Association of the Blind, and she is very active in the Council of Citizens with Low Vision International. Zelda has a very warm personality, and we know that you will enjoy meeting her on page 2. GLCB held its quarterly fall meeting this past Friday, September 24. 
Matthew Cole, Commissioner of the Kentucky Department of Vehicle Regulation, was our speaker, and he provided details and answered questions about how to renew current and expired ID cards and how to obtain the new real IDs that will be required to fly on planes, enter certain federal buildings, etc., beginning May 3, 2023. Commissioner Cole gave an excellent presentation, which lasted a total of 45 minutes. Thanks to Adam Rushevel for editing the program so that we can include highlights on page 3. And thanks to Debbie Dethridge, immediate past president of the Kentucky Council of the Blind, for arranging for Mr. Cole to be with us at our roundabout quarterly meeting. As always, we welcome your feedback and suggestions for sound prints. Let us know what you enjoy and what you would like to hear in the future. We welcome your feedback. Call us at 502-895-4598 or email us at kcb at kentucky-acb.org. If you are not a subscriber to the KCB email list and you would like to join in order to receive all of our announcements, please send an email message to us at kcb at kentucky-acb.org or call us at 502-895-4598. You can also join our list by completing the simple email form on the homepage of our website. Visit www.kentucky-acb.org. And a big thanks to Samantha Hubbard for posting all of the messages on the KCB email list. You do a great job, Samantha. Page two. This week we're visiting with Zelda Gephardt. Zelda's from North Dakota. And if you have been involved in ACB for at least a few years, you may know Zelda's name from a couple of things. One from the Board of Publications and the other from CCLVI. We're talking to Zelda today because she is uh, one of the members of the BOP that was just re-elected to the, uh, her position there. And we want to take this opportunity for those of you that are listening to, to meet Zelda, find out a little more about her, and, um, and just, just get to know uh, a person on the BOP. We're usually always interviewing people on the ACB Board of Directors, but the BOP plays a major role in ACB as well. So, um, we are going to chat with Zelda today and find out some interesting things about her and the Board of Publications. So welcome, Zelda. Thank you, Carla. I, it's a privilege to be with you here on Sound Prince today. And um, I just, um, I'll start at the beginning. Who is Zelda? Uh, well, as my husband said, I used to be a pain. Um, that's my maiden name. Uh, I was born a pain, and I was born in, in western Kansas. Uh, we moved to North Dakota when I was three, and um, we lived in western North Dakota where it's rolling, and I lived on a, on a ranch uh, where we had cattle and sheep for a short time, and we raised crops kind of in between the hills to feed the cattle. So um, that was my first 
glimpse at, at teamwork. Um, I guess I didn't know anything else existed, but a family working together. I'm the youngest of four children, and um, we all uh, pitched in and made things work. So um, I went to college in, in South Dakota in Aberdeen um, and met a guy and um, fell in love and got married and, and lived in South Dakota for about 19 years. Um, and we started our family. We have four boys, um, and they're all they're all grown now. And our blessing is with grandchildren. We have eleven grandchildren. And while we were in South Dakota, I worked for a healthcare uh, network. Uh, started off working for a doctor in his office doing medical transcription, and and then uh, I became part of the administrative team for this healthcare network. Um, I was the director of outpatient services, which meant that I I managed the clinic, um, did the marketing for the network, did the credentialing of all the professionals, um, thought to it that the, um, the specialty clinics, we had eight different specialty clinics coming to town. It was a small town. So we had two orthopedic groups, two cardiology groups, and every other ologist you can think of uh, was coming to our town. So our people didn't have to travel to a larger city to get um, specialized health care. And I was a part of that team, um, managed the, the medical records department, and uh, kind, of, kind of did a lot of, a lot of different things. Uh, when my vision... Um, decreased to the point where I couldn't drive. And I have Stargardt's, which is um, a genetic condition that I was born with, but not really affected by until I was like 34 years old. And um, it's been just on the decline since then. Um, every once in a while, I noticed something that was easy for me to do before that I can no longer do. And so it just causes me to get real creative and and sometimes a tad bit stubborn <laughs> as I uh, um, try and, and figure out ways to do the things that I've, I, I really enjoy doing. So um, when, I, when I could no longer drive, uh, that's when we moved back to North Dakota. My husband got a job here and I became a full-time stay-at-home mom um, for a short while. And then I started doing transcription from my home. I contracted with a company who contracted with healthcare uh, institutions, and I did um, transcription in between running to um, our. At then we had a an elementary uh, student, uh, um, two two in high school, and a preschooler, um, and that was that was where I was at at that time. So, um, so do you still do medical transcription? No, I don't. No? Okay. You know, we had kind of a parting of the ways because um, they were encouraging quantity, quantity, quantity. And I had done medical transcription for enough years that I realized just how very important um, things were to have it be right. You know, the, it has to be correct. And um, I wasn't willing to speed through things quickly. Um, so I, uh, I parted ways because we, we saw things a little differently and I no longer contracted with them. I was at home <laughs> for a few more years. And then I was asked to um, work 
for an insurance agent. And that started out as, as I would filled in for an employee of his who was um, having a baby. And I, I uh, worked there and that extended to um, 18 years of working for, oh the, <laughs> for the insurance agent. <laughs> and COVID has kind of put a, a pause on that. I'm not sure that I will return, but our office is located right across the hall from a pharmacy and they see a lot of sick people come and go. And um, I have a, a decreased autoimmune um, system. And so it's really not safe for, for me to be, be there right now. So at right now, I'm, I'm just volunteering. Um, I have just finished in June. I finished my fifth year of being president of the North Dakota Association of the Blind our state affiliate, and prior to that, I was the vice president, and in our affiliate, when you're the vice president, it's your membership chair, so that's what I did, and prior to that, I was um, our editor for five years, so I've had a little bit of experience in, in a few different places and in our state affiliate. In Rochester, there were some openings on the BOP, and there you were. And uh, I guess that was your first experience with an ACB election. I mean, you've been to ACB for many years. That was your first one where you actually ran for an office, right? Exactly, Carla. Um, I have served on uh, two different committees on, on the national level, and that's the Auction Committee and, and the Derwood K. McDaniel First Timers Committee. Um, and I went to Rochester to that conference and convention, not thinking at all about running for anything, <laughs> and then found that um, somebody on the on the BOP was uh, seeking an office, uh, was seeking a director position on the on the board, and and um, they did get that, of course, and that opened up the position, and so I threw my hat in the ring, ran and finished up. Um, the the one year term um, that was left in in her term that was Donna Brown who moved on mm -hmm. up, and then of course the pandemic hit and um, there was a freeze on everything and everybody was asked to continue right where they were at, and so I did. So I have served two years on the BOP um, prior to election. Now I'm working on my I've this is my second election, but my third year. Um, and I haven't served a full term um, on the BOP. It's it's all very confusing, but um, <laughs> you'll get straightened out next year. I think so. <laughs> yeah, because that'll be an even numbered year, and that's right. when the BOP is elected. So that can get straightened out next year. But it sure is when you go down and you look at the terms <clears throat> and so on. It sure does look funny when it yeah. says, you know, you know, the person's been there a couple of years, and it says first term, and you're thinking, what? <laughs> <laughs> How can this be? <laughs> All right. Yeah. yeah. Well, we, we that's part of that uh, core value of, of being flexible. We have to just kind of go with, with what we're presented. You know, one of the interesting things about, about you being on the BOP is I think that for the most part, well, there's a couple of people that um, have been on the BOP that have been visually impaired, not Braille readers, but not too many in the past. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, I know Ken Stewart had 
been on the BOP for some years, uh, and he had vision. He had good vision, and he was part of well, what the total, what us totals consider good vision. <laughs> um, but he had been on on there for uh, for a few years, but um, it's really been, I think, uh, some time uh, since there have been people on the BOP that really did represent the visually impaired, the low vision community. Do you find that um, a, uh, is, is that, uh, do you think a, a good thing to have that representation from that, from that side of the fence and ACB, if you will, on, well, on the BOP? I'd like to think so, you know, because I see things from a different perspective. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I, I absolutely have my, my devices that that I can't get along without. Um, you know, I use a, a screen magnifier on my computer. Uh, I I have used a, a closed circuit television or video magnifier for the last thirty years. Um, and and as I mentioned, um, I haven't been able to legally drive for um, the last twenty five years. So, mm-hmm. you know, my my vision is is um, not great but it i do have some usable vision um and so therefore i don't use a screen reader yet i i have to admit i don't even use the voiceover on my phone um i need to switch because i think i could be much more efficient but what i do right now carla is hold my 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 iphone in my left hand and my magnifier in my right hand and then i'm i'm texting with my thumb as i'm holding my phone and um i do dictate you know some messages and such and and i use siri she's she's my little helper um that helps me um call somebody and sometimes she calls the wrong somebody but (laughs) for the most part it works out pretty well but I always have a magnifier at hand because even even really large bold print is not something I can just pick up a paper copy and read Um, I can with the help of a magnifier read like 20 point font Um, but um, I, I can't read it you know without any any help of any device whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So your perspective then on the Board of Publications, which addresses, among other things, but uh, mainly over the years, the, the Braille Forum, um, is different from many people's perspective. I believe it probably is. And, and even at our last meeting, um, we meet the, the second to, or the first Tuesday of, of each month and we talked about um, perhaps changes that we should make to the Braille Forum you know should we expand it in any way should we add pictures you know we were kind of um, exploring kind of all kinds of things and I had to admit that um, I have been receiving mine um, via email for the last several years, and I hadn't really had my hands on a large print copy. So Sharon Levering, the editor that she is, she was Johnny on the spot, and within a few days, I had two Braille forums in print that I, you know, are on my on my uh, bedside stand so that I can I can check it over and and see if if it looks. You know, the thing is though, it could be what I need. Um, yes. for print yes. and and it may not be what somebody else with low vision needs 
it's really difficult to find that perfect something that will work well for everyone. So we kind of have to go kind of middle of the road and hope we catch the most people possible. Right, right. Well, I know there's been a lot of uh, a lot of um, back and forth about the format of the Braille Forum and mm-hmm. how that affects people um, who can and who can't read it, and of course how that also affects how much information can get in the forum because right. of, yeah because of the budget constraints. Of right. The bottom line is always. Always the is the bottom line is always the budget, you know. Um, right. You know, right. we want to get the most information out there, um, you know, and and do it within the budget. Um, right. And you know, some people require a lot of white space between the lines and and around, and then others who have decreased field of vision, um, white space is kind of their enemy. Uh, they have a hard time yeah. tracking and. So, like yep. I say, it's it's really difficult to find what works for everyone. Uh, we just have to, to go with what works for most. Right, right. Well, we uh, we certainly are glad that you're there on the BOP and that you're um, into your uh, first term, but your third <laughs> year. <That's> yeah. a- <laughs> and and we're, we're certainly looking forward to... To you getting uh, us all getting to Omaha and getting to actually see each other again in Absolutely. person. Absolutely. Um, before we go, I want you to tell us we didn't ask you about your your hobbies and your pastimes. So um, tell us a little bit about that. I know before we uh, before we started recording, you were saying that today was um, a, a, a day for canning a bunch of tomatoes, and I was fascinated with that because. Um, I, I, I used to do a little bit of canning years ago, but not much. And um, and uh, you know that that's that's something that's it's it's really fun because the end result when you're eating something you've actually made or produced yourself, it really does have um, a, a lot of times it, it I don't know it just it just tastes better than what you buy in the store. But tell us about your hobbies and your pastimes. Well, I'm a farmer's daughter. And I guess I, I love um, I love to watch things grow, and um, and my husband grew up on a farm too. We live in the country. Um, uh, don't don't derive our income from the farm anymore. Uh, he is a, a loan officer, uh, kind of semi-retired. Um, so that gives us both um, this love for watching things grow, and um, so we have a rather large garden. Too big for the two of us, um, but we like to share things. Um, it's it's not unusual for him to take things to work with him, and for us to um, you know take a bucket full of garden produce to church with us on Sunday. Um, we and that's fun too. Um, I really enjoy that. I love flowers. Um, my that's something I inherited. Also, my grandmother was. Um, really loved her flowers, and so did my mom. So the the love of of growing things has has been um, you know something that that I started at an early age and have continued down through the years. And yes, today is Tomato Day here at my house. There, 
Uh, we've we've picked oh, probably a bushel and a half of of tomatoes, and the my favorite from, way from is, your garden from my garden. Oh. Yes, yes. Okay. Um, and my favorite way of, of preserving them to eat later on is to um, make a tomato sauce because in doing so, I can not only I, I not only use the tomatoes from my garden, but I use um, bell peppers and um, onions, and I can also utilize them in this tomato sauce. So it's it's got the tomatoes, the onions, the peppers, the you know garlic and and a bunch of other good stuff in it. I simmer it all up and I strain out the seeds and the and the skins and and jar it up and then um we have this wonderful uh flavorful tomato sauce to uh start out cooking lots of different things with the tomato base whether it be chili or lasagna or or spaghetti sauce or whatever in the winter. But uh, yeah, that's that's what I'm doing today. Um, often a little later on in the season. Um, it's not an apple year this year. Uh, we do have apple trees. We have some pear trees. Um, we we've we have quite a few fruit trees here on our little acreage, and um, I'll be um, dealing with the apples. Um, I like to dehydrate them, and I'll make applesauce. And some I'll just can as applesauce. Some of the applesauce I'll make into a fruit leather um, by using my dehydrator. And my grandkids like those. They call them fruit roll-ups, uh, their grandma's fruit roll-ups. So, um, yeah. Cooking, to most cooking kids, from, they come out of a box in the store. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, cooking wow. for my family, you know, and now cooking for for our extended family um, mm-hmm. is is one of one of my interests, too. Um, I, I love to quilt. Um, I learned how to sew when I was a, a young girl in 4-H. Um, my mother had taught us how to sew, but um, we did our little sewing projects. And um, I had kind of put that on the shelf for a while um, because it was very difficult for me to do, and I couldn't thread my needle and and all those wonderful things. And then I uh, I met a lady her name was Viola Lillihagen, and uh, she was a uh, oh in her 90s when I got to know Viola. And uh, somebody had said that she had had made like over a thousand mission quilts, uh, quilts for mission, you know. And mm-hmm. and I got a chance to visit with her one day, and I said, you know, Viola, how have you done that? And she goes, well, you know, I've been retired since 73, and I go, no, I don't mean. <laughs> How have you found time to do it? But how do you, how do you, you know, she didn't see very well anymore. She had macular degeneration. I asked, how do you, how do you accomplish that? You know, how do you get a, a sufficient theme? And she actually um, had a wonderful low-tech idea. She taped a popsicle stick on her sewing machine the correct distance away from her needle and her pressure foot so that she could be um, – you know, confident that she would get enough seam to hold her pieces together. Mm-hmm. And right then and there, I decided, hey, I can figure out a way to sew again. And um, and I, I have been sewing since. I didn't use the popsicle stick method. They do have a, a machine. I have a little Janome Gym. Um, it's got um, the pressure foot has a side to it. So you run your fabric up against the side of the pressure foot, and that gives you 
a, a perfect quarter of an inch seam. And uh, that's what quilters kind of aim for. And it also has a threader on it. Um, but I use the easy thread needle, um, the, the kind that you slide down the shaft of the needle and the eye is open at the top and it slips right in the eye. Now those needles break easier because they're only connected um, by the one side, but um, it enables me to change threads and whatnot. Otherwise, I was just waiting until somebody was around so they could thread my needle out. Otherwise, I was I was done for the day when my needle got unthreaded. <laughs> <laughs> but I I um, meet with uh, a group of ladies at our church on Mondays where they call us the the Merry Monday Quilters, and um, during COVID, we haven't been quilting, but we plan to this fall start in again, and we make uh, quilts for missions, and we make some quilts we just keep at the church so that if somebody has a f house fire or a tornado or something, some disaster, um, that we can gift them um, some quilts. So, yeah, I enjoy That's sewing. Yeah. Well, that's, that's great. Um, sewing, um, sewing is, is something I think everybody should try. Um, we're not always real successful, but if you can, um, if you can create something that's recognizable, then you're doing a pretty good thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I would love to be able to, to work one on one with, with people and, and mm -hmm. pass on that love of sewing. I've done so. I've got two granddaughters. Um, my oldest granddaughter, when she was about nine, I sat down with her and helped her sew. And I also use, I call them binoculars on bows. When I, when mm -hmm. I sew, I wear those and I set them at about 14 inches. And that way I can, I can see what I'm doing um, better too. So there too, I'm using these devices and it enables me to do what I want to do. But we were sewing and she was like stitching away and she just goes, oh, Grandma, this makes me feel warm and fuzzy inside. <laughs> <laughs> and that, of course, made Grandma feel warm and fuzzy inside too because it was that love of doing something, learning something new um, that right. I think no matter what age we are, we should just continue to do for a lifetime. My mother um, was visually impaired, and then she lost all of her vision in her 40s. Our family had retinitis pigmentosa, mm -hmm. and she could sew um, when she had vision. Um, and then when she lost her vision, she taught herself to sew again mm -hmm. because the process changed. Yeah. And when I was in 4-H, that, that 4-H level, you know, where you make the apron the first year and the yes. first, the second year and all that, um, <laughs> yeah. he taught the sewing um, because um, nobody else wanted to in the first place. But with kids at the School for the Blind, she figured she could, you know, help help us more than the sighted parents that didn't know mm -hmm. how to teach us how to sew. And then um, the Kentucky Council of the Blind had, uh, we did adult education adult education classes for 25 years, and she did sewing classes in that. And by that time, she had lost all her vision, so she was teaching everybody else to cut out by. Um, she made patterns. Uh, had a friend that helped her cut patterns mm -hmm. out of brown paper, and she called them fingertip patterns. And actually, um, we 
she produced those and we distributed them to people uh, all over the country. She had people in, in several states who would call her and say, well, I, do you have any new jackets or anything? And she knew what mm. sizes they needed and she'd cut them out of pattern. And, um, oh my goodness. Yeah. But, yeah. oh my gosh, you know, yeah. she, she just, she was really good. I mean, she could yeah. zippers and line jackets and all this stuff. Right. I didn't right. have the patience for all that. I, I tried it, mm-hmm. but I just, mm-hmm. she made me rip too much. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, the unsewing isn't nearly as fun as the sewing. You are so right. <laughs> well, this, this has been really fun. And, um, I'm so glad to have had a chance to talk with you today. And, and, um, I'm, I'm just the, you know, the side at ACB, you see all the, business side and stuff and you don't see that other side the, the canning the tomatoes and making the quilts and all that kind of and growing the flowers I mean you know we don't always know that about each other so I'm so glad that we had a chance to to chat and thank you for spending time with us on Sound Friends. Well thank you can I can I add just one more thing? Sure. Okay um, I just want to tell you about something new that that I have discovered and it's, it's got me pretty enthused Um at the end of convention, this year's convention, um, you know, that always is at any end of convention, you leave feeling inspired and enthused. I oh, do. Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. And so I had that feeling. And and I also had um, that coincided with the, um, with the Olympics and all the interviews of of these Olympians, and that is always inspiring to me also. Um, and then the unveiling of the Get Up and Get Moving campaign that ACB mm-hmm. has just, you know, put forth, um, those three things coupled together got me to thinking that, you know, Zelda, you should be setting some goals. And down through the years, I have not been a real goal setter. Um, I've set goals for, um, you know, the, the businesses I've worked for, uh, the organizations I've been a part of, for my family. You know, my personal goals have always been put on hold while I, I did things for those around me. And I decided um, the 2022 convention is going to be in Omaha. I think I'll walk to Omaha. So I decided that I was going to walk the 453 miles from my home here in Edgeley, North Dakota, to Omaha, um, you know, in in a year's time. I think this is doable. Um, I just have to walk like 1.33 miles a day and I'll get there. And I don't literally mean to, to walk to Omaha and camp out along the way or something. I'm just going to walk the amount of miles that it will take me from here to there. Mm-hmm. And and so I've been doing that for the last two months. Uh, today, um, it was drizzling here at my house, and my husband got the raincoats out, and he and I and the dog, we've got a golden retriever, we walked our two miles. And so I'm walking to Omaha, and um, I, I'm going to have a different plan this winter um, because – um, it's, oh my, it, I know no. <laughs> <laughs> we get 20 below zero weather too, yeah. and snow and ice. And so I might be riding my stationary bike for those times when it's not possible for me to be outside. But so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm setting a goal 
and I'm letting others know about it so that will keep me on task and keep me motivated. So I just wanted to share that with you, Carla. And so please check back with me and see how I'm doing. Um, and I'm I'm walking to Omaha. Wow. I've seen people talking about that. Um, it hasn't quite inspired me to do that yet, but I'll tell you <laughs> something. Um, Tony Stevens, I was at a meeting um, that Tony was uh, – Tony was chairing, and he was talking about that campaign, and um, I think we need to have him and maybe Leslie and some of the others on here and talk about that campaign, because Tony was, he he was saying, you know, even a little bit of exercise for us couch potatoes that mm-hmm. really do not exercise enough. You know, a block a day is doable. If you talk to somebody that doesn't do a whole lot of exercise, and you say, well, if you only would walk two or three miles a day, you could do this. Well, shoot, walking a mile would be. <laughs> but a block, anybody can do a right. block. Right. That's a half a block down and a half a block back from your house. You know, that that is mm-hmm. nothing. Mm-hmm. That's up to the corner and back. Absolutely. And, fact, and the two blocks. You know? The purpose, the purpose for me sharing this wasn't wasn't to get other people's to to walk to other people to walk to Omaha. Mm-hmm. I wanted people to start setting goals for themselves, uh, whether yes. it was per, a professional goal or you know like to to get a degree or you know whatever your goals might be. We all mm-hmm. have um, maybe it might be to walk that block today. Or mm-hmm. to um, to to clean my closet out, you know, to 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 devote a half an hour every day to to some different area in my home, um, so that at the end of three months, I might feel like I'm totally organized. Um, mm-hmm. Whatever it would be, we all have something different in our lives um, right. that that we could set a goal at. And what I shared initially was, um, and I, I don't have the statistics directly to me, but or in front of me, but um, if you dream about a goal, um, I think that's like 5% of the time, you know, you might be successful doing it. If you write it down, that percentage goes way up, um, uh, you know, the success rate. Um, if you tell somebody, it goes really up a lot, um, and and that was what I wanted people to do. Not necessarily to to mm-hmm. to mirror my goal, but to set their own goal and and to achieve that. And I like you, Carla. I have spent way too much time at my computer chair on my computer chair this year, and that's the reason <laughs> for me. It was. Zelda, you can get up and get outside and get going. Gosh, Zelda, this has been so much fun, and I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today. Um, this, oh. just, you just always have such good things to say. Like, like I said earlier, it's just good to sit down because I've been up working with the tomatoes all morning. <laughs> Congratulations all right. there, too. Well, all right. thank you, Carla. Thank you. Uh-huh. All right. Bye all right. for now. Bye-bye. Page three. Debbie Dethridge, if you would like to introduce our guests, please. Okay. Thank you, everyone. Appreciate Mr. Matthew Cole joining us tonight. He is 
Commissioner of Department of Vehicle Regulation from the Kentucky Transportation Department. And Mr. Cole, we appreciate you taking the Friday evening to speak with us, and we are looking forward to your presentation. Thank you all for having me. Um, just wanted to stop in and kind of share with you what's going on with driver's license. There's been a lot of change over the last couple of years, and, and we'll continue to see that in, in, the, uh, in the coming years. But uh, the biggest thing is, you know, driver's license is being transitioned out of the circuit clerk offices and into transportation regional offices. We currently have 19 of those around the state right now. And before we're done, we believe sometime next year, about, about summertime, we should be up to about 30 or 31 locations. That'll put us conveniently close to just about everybody around the state and we'll have plenty of bandwidth to be able to take care of uh, all of the constituents and citizens of the state. Uh, you know, I personally want it to be where it, it's rolling as smooth as possible that people in Kentucky just won't understand DMV jokes because, you know, we, we've all heard those, um, those horror stories. We just recently had a couple that relocated from California. They brought two bag chairs. They brought a bag of snacks, Dooku books everything and they thought that they were going to have to sit there for six or seven hours before they got taken care of and, and we had them out the door in 20 minutes so they it was just a world that they're not used to so you know there is going to be some change what everybody's used to but there's a lot of benefits to the new system and the way we're transitioning uh, it used to be that you had to go to your circuit court clerk office in your county of residence uh, with as many people that work out of county and are traveling on the road, sometimes that became a bit of a hassle because you'd have to take a day off from work just to go back home to get the license. Uh, now with the regional offices, there, there are no restrictions like that. You can literally go to anyone that you want, anywhere in the state, whatever's most convenient for you, and you can go online and, and get an appointment. You can be a walk-in person if you have an emergency and you just say, I need to get this taken care of real quick. Uh, if you do that, I do recommend going very early in the morning when they first open. Uh, those those walk-in slots do tend to fill up as the day goes, so that'll help. But, you know, we have some technology changes that are coming in as well uh, with an online renewal. Uh, we're working on a mail-in form so where you can renew by mail. Uh, you know, we're going to do pop-up licensing where we're going to take our, our portable units and we'll go to counties that don't have regional offices and, and visit uh, people there. So, you know, we're really introducing a lot of new technologies. Uh, obviously, with Real ID coming, that's uh, on a lot of people's minds. Uh, Kentucky is a voluntary state, so you can continue to get a standard or you can upgrade to the Real ID. It, it's your choice. But the thing that we want to make sure is everybody is knowledgeable about what's going to happen on that enforcement date. Uh, currently, that's set for May 3rd of 2023. They've moved that date quite a few times, but I, I think I really feel like this is the one that's going to be for real. The, the national acceptance of real IDs really started to take hold. They're almost 50 percent of, of the United States is getting there. Uh, but like I said, we want to make people have a, the, the right information so they can make a, a decision for what works for them. On that enforcement date, the only difference between a standard ID and a real ID, which both of them are good for age purchases, voting, driving privileges, if you get a driver's license, ID cards, they're the same. 
The three differences will be the ability to get on a commercial domestic flight will require a real ID credential. Now that doesn't have to be a Kentucky real ID. That could be a military ID. It can be a passport, passport card. DHS has a, a long list of documents that you can use, but a, a standard Kentucky license after that enforcement date of, of May 3rd, 2023, a, a standard Kentucky license will no longer do that. The other two items are military bases and restricted federal buildings. So that's like the FBI headquarters, White House, uh, places that require an, almost like a, a background check kind of thing. Any federal building that, um, that does benefits or entitlements will not be restricted, so you don't have to worry about those. So, uh, like I said, the good news is with this new system, lots of choices. You can get a standard, you can get a real ID, you can get a four-year credential, you can get an eight-year credential. So, if money's tight and you say, I'd really rather get the four, kind of stretch my dollars a little further. Or if you say, you know, I don't like the hassle of coming into the office, I'm just going to go ahead and get the eight-year just to keep me on the road longer. So, uh, again, a lot of choices, a lot of changes, but uh, what we really feel are going to be for the positive because we have something for everybody. If, if you like technology, online's the way to go. If you, if you don't like technology, we have a mail-in form. You can do it by mail, or you can come see us in person. So, you know, it, honestly, it's, it's everybody's choice and, and, and how they'd like to proceed. I know I've, I've thrown a lot of information, so I'd be glad to answer any questions that that anyone may have about the changes or, or the new program. I have a question real quick, and then Terry, I will get to you in just a second. Um, could you go over what documents um, people would need if they, if we want to get the real IDs, please? Absolutely, great question. So uh, imagine visually that there's three columns. The first column is your proof of identity. So that's usually your birth certificate or a passport. Uh, so uh, we have a, a tool on our website, which is drive.ky.gov, that has uh, the iDocument guide, and it's a little tool that you can use that will walk you through uh, the whole process of what documents you need to bring. So and like I say, in that first column of identity, we have about five or six different things you can pick from. Choose which one that you, that you possess and you want to bring in. The second column is your proof of social. It's a little smaller list. It's usually a social security card, uh, a, a W-2 or a 1099 that are acceptable. And the third column is your proof of residency, which can be two utility bills, uh, a rental agreement. Uh, again, on that one, we have a long list of items on there. And again, you can pick from there to make sure that you have all the documents that you need. If you're a veteran and you want to get the veteran indicator on there, then bring your uh, DD-214 or DD-4. Uh, any of those documents are acceptable. And then if you want to be an organ donor, then, uh, you know, obviously you can always choose to do that as well. Register to vote. Uh, you know, we, we take care of all of that through the process. Okay. Thank you. Terry. My question relates to Natalie's. Um, what do people do who do not have utilities in their name and who do not have their name on a lease? Um, is there any, what other kinds of, um, verification uh, can be used? Bank statements, credit card bills, uh, any of those. If it's a married situation and the, uh, then the, all the bills are in one person's name, then you can bring a marriage certificate and that kind of can and then you can accept the other person's documents. 
uh, like I say, on the uh, the document guide that we have, it has uh, a ton of different choices. So mm -hmm. going through there, it'll list a long list of options. If you're just uh, staying with somebody, then you can get a notarized letter from them just stating uh, that, that they live there. Uh, so there lots of choices. Okay. Carla, we haven't been anywhere in a couple of years um, mm -hmm. as far as flying or anything. And so I suddenly realized the other day that probably my ID was expired. And it was. It's almost mm -hmm. two years ago that it was, I need to get, obviously, a new ID. What yes. do I need to take if I, I have my old ID? Uh, what will I need to take with me just to get um, something as quickly as possible, which would right. uh, if, if just, just be the Kentucky ID? Yeah, if you have a standard uh, ID card and mm -hmm. you get it renewed, then just bring that in, and that's all you'll need. Oh, that's good. Thank you. If, if you want to go to a real ID, then you would need to produce all the other documents to get a real ID ID card. But uh, again, totally your choice. Okay. So if I get the, uh, if I just go in and get this renewed, mm -hmm. <clears throat> then can I come along and get the other ID later uh, yes. before this mm -hmm. one is, expires? I can change if I want. Absolutely. Anytime that you're not inside your renewal window, which is six months prior to your expiration date on the credential, uh, then it's just a duplicate cost. It would just be $15. Uh, the only difference is if you're not in that renewal window and you do a duplicate, that expiration date stays the same. If you're in the expiration window, then it's a renewal and it's the full cost of the license or ID and, and then that expiration date moves. So just depending on uh, anyone's in specific situation, it can be a little different. But either way, we can take care of all of your needs anytime that you want. We can renew our regular IDs, just our standard IDs online, right? Because I'm in the same situation as Carla, and mine expired in April, and I didn't realize that. So. <laughs> right, right now, we only have driver's license of the renewal online. Oh, okay. uh, the alien program's getting ready to start, so that'll be an option here in October. We hope to have ID cards added to the online renewal right around the end of the year. Adam and Eric, you can unmute, please. All right, Eric has a question. How much are you? Well, you said like fifteen dollars for four. Is it fifteen dollars for four years, or well, like that, like the say, that, that's 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 the duplicate cost. So that means that you're not in that six month renewal window. So basically, you're getting just a duplicate of the of the credential that you already have now, but you're upgrading it from a standard to a regular. Now, uh, when you come in to do, you know, a regular. Um, renewal kind of thing, then depending on the four-year or the real ID, you know, so four years a different price, eight years twice as much, four years half as much, um, real IDs are, are $5 more than standards. Uh, you want to go back to the real ID uh, question right quick as far as uh, proof of residency, uh, mm -hmm. you know, where you live. Uh, would, would a um, uh, um, check stub from work, would that suffice as uh, sufficient documentation? So proof of identity, here's all the things that you can bring, which is a U.S. birth certificate, a U.S. passport, U.S. passport card, certificate of naturalization, certificate of citizenship, a U.S. consular report of birth abroad, a foreign passport, a Puerto Rico birth certificate, American Samoa, American North Mar Mariana Islands, uh, Guam, U.S. Virgin Islands, uh, Islands, and or a court-ordered uh, adoption. 
So for proof of social, it can be a social security card, a W-2 or a 1099. And, and then uh, for proof of residency, we have uh, any home utility bill dated a year or less, a rental or lease agreement, deed or title to a residential real property, property tax bill, letter from the legal property owner, postmarked letter. So, I mean, somebody can just write you a letter as long as it has your name and the address on it. Uh, current insurance policy, pay slip or salary statement, proof of educational institution enrollment. That tends to be just for students, but you just never know the situation. A uh, letter from a trucking school that's notarized. Uh, your current driver's license, as long as the address has not changed, is proof of address. Uh, a current unexpired vehicle title or registration. Uh, mail issued from the transportation cabinet. You know, we send out letters all the time to people that need uh, proof of CDLs or, or things like that. Uh, so any of those items can be used as, as proof of residency. Amanda. Hi. Um, so I guess my question is just to kind of clar clarify some confusion um, sure. because we have um, – there, there's a group of us that in uh, from the state that go to uh, – uh, Washington, D.C. Um, in the, the early spring, and then uh, we have a national convention um, in Omaha next year. So um, I am just trying to clarify. Uh, we here in Kentucky, we don't actually to fly um, next next year. Do we have to have mm -hmm. the, the real ID, or is it going to be overridden until uh, 2023? Correct. A standard okay. will get you on a domestic flight until that May 3rd, 2023 date. So right now, real ID or a standard, you can do everything. It's just on that May 3rd, 2023, that the standards won't allow you to fly military base or restricted federal building. Okay. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for the um, clarification. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Debbie Dentridge. Yes. Um, I have a couple of questions. On the passport, um, I'm assuming that if that's uh, uh, it has to be uh, current, not not expired, is there a phone number that people can call um, to sign up to make appointments? Sure. No, I can go ahead and give that number out. That's our main number there at the Transportation Cabinet for the Department of Vehicle Regulation. And it's 502-564-1257. And, and we have the you know, we have the, about 20 people in the call center that will answer your call. Sometimes it can take a few minutes to get through, but they, they are working hard to answer all the calls as quickly as they can. And they'll get you down to somebody who, uh, who will be able to sign you up for those appointments. Kendall. Okay, uh, so on the on a standard ID, how much did, did you say, or if you heard, I, I missed it, how, that it's, it costs for, uh, if, you know, the four-year or the eight-year? Sure, I, I can run down the pricing here for you. Uh, on a standard credential, just on a personal uh -huh. ID card, for four yeah. years, it's 1150 okay. and then for eight years, it's $23. Those are your two standard costs, whether you get a four-year or an eight-year. And then for a, a four-year license of a real ID, or four-year four uh, real ID personal ID card for four years is $14, and an eight-year is $28. Okay. 
Very. I have two questions. One is um, with regard to using a 1099 or a W-2 for um, a social security proof, um, how current do they need to be? Uh, the most current tax year. So uh, okay. if, the new, All right. if the new if the new ones haven't come out yet, then that one previous. But then when that new wave of the of the newest year comes out, then it needs to be that one. Okay. Could you also please repeat the website URL? Absolutely. It's drive.ky.gov. All right. Um, well, thank you so much, Mr. Cole. This was very um, educational, and I know that it answered a lot of my questions. Um, so thank you very much for giving your time on a Friday evening. Glad, glad to do it. And if anybody needs anything, just please let us know. If you have questions about the Kentucky Council of the Blind or you need information on resources for people with vision loss, call us at 502-895-4598 or email us at kcb at kentucky-acb.org. Sound Prince is a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind and is heard each week on ACB Radio Mainstream at acbradio.org, Central Kentucky Radio I at radioi.org, and the KCB website at www.kentucky-acb.org. Complete schedule information is also available on the website. Sound Prince is underwritten by the Louisville Downtown Lions Club, and by the American Printing House for the Blind. This is Carla Rushable for Sound Prints. Have a great week, everybody.